at the end of the day, I'm not sure most of these programs actually get at what HR people need in the real world, real world to provide true value to the organization. And I think, um, you know, what what's needed is this combination of grit from a personality perspective and business confidence from an educational perspective. And I think business confidence um, supports EQ that a lot of HR practitioners do bring to the table drives a better employee experience, and it just drives the kind of courage and smart decision-making and eye for the right kind of talent that actually helps them to level up the business that they're trying to support. And, and I don't know that a lot of organizations are really teaching that to up, up-and-coming HR practitioners. That was Zenefit's Chief People Officer, Tracy Cote, describing the current state of education in HR and the importance of combining business and HR acumen for modern people operators. I really enjoyed this conversation with Tracy. We talk about all of that and much more, and we'll be right back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. Redefining HR one podcast at a time. Support for the Redefining HR podcast comes from PIN, PIN is building the world's first employee-centric communications tool, enabling your employees to automatically receive helpful messages at key moments throughout their journey, from onboarding to promotions and everywhere in between. PIN helps companies battle communication overload and puts your employees in control over when and how they receive information. Go to PINHQ.com for more information. That's P-Y-N-H-Q.com. And reinvent employee communications for the distributed workplace. And now, on to the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Redefining HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and today I am thrilled to be joined by the Chief People Officer at Zenefits, Tracy Cote. Tracy and I are going to explore her background and her career, as well as getting into some of the aspects of her current role. And before we get into that uh, conversation, I just want to mention as a, as a brief disclaimer uh, on transparency, I did do some consulting work with Zenefits a couple years back. It was actually before Tracy was with the company, but uh, as I always uh, share any disclosures uh, with guests or their companies, I did want to open with that. So with that out of the way, uh, Tracy, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, why don't you give a brief uh, introduction on you for the listeners? Uh, thanks so much for having me. So uh, yeah, I started my career in HR early on, uh, honestly, when I didn't really know what I was going to do with my English degree coming out of college. So I transitioned uh, my store manager role in the grocery industry into an HR role, and I've never looked back. Currently, I'm the chief people officer at Zenefits, overseeing the people experience programs. So um, in this job, I oversee all things HR, including employee engagement, compensation, benefits, learning and development, recruiting, and employee branding. So basically, I'm there to employ, um, to support the employee experience and focus on making a positive impact on the business and culture. Cool. So English degree to HR, like did you, how, how did those dots connect for you? Like what, uh, what, what made you kind of take that, that education and, and, you know, make that uh, transition kind of proactively into HR? Well, I think that combination of the English degree and writing coupled with the customer service experience in my background probably drew me to HR as a profession because I don't like to be bored. And every day in an HR professional's life is different. 
you know, your day can run the gamut to managing a project, to strategizing on total rewards, to coaching an executive, to doing a podcast. <laughs> so I'm also people oriented and the kinds of roles I gravitate towards always have um, a lot of opportunities to engage with other humans as I support building a culture of the company that I'm in. Yeah, I'm actually curious, the, the, the English degree, like how, you know, writing to me is a, is such an important skill in HR that most of us have never really had much training or development in, you know, yet we're every day we're, we're developing documents, resources, writing emails, whatever it might be that are, are kind of designed to compel people to action. Like how do you, how often do you find yourself kind of leaning on that education in your role as a CPO? You know, it's interesting um, all the time. So I think as a chief people officer, a lot of your job is around communication. People don't realize that, but it's change management. And all change management really is, is around communicating. So, and, and the same with the employee experience. A lot of it is driven by how we talk to our people, what we tell them, um, what do they learn um, from the executive team. And so my role is to help executive. Part of my role is to help executives communicate more effectively with the employees. So employees understand what's happening in the company. Well, let's, let's, I guess, continue with that education theme for a moment, because you, you know, in the first 10 years of your career, you were also an adjunct faculty at San Francisco State University. So what was, what was the driver behind that? What, what compelled you to, uh, to, to be a teacher as you were also kind of building your early career in HR? Well, you know, growing up, I thought I would probably end up becoming a high school teacher. And about halfway through college, I realized that was probably not going to be the right choice for me. So that concept of teaching others has always been somewhere in the back of my mind. And I found that teaching adults in a business context is just a lot more fun for me than trying to teach teenagers how to write essays. <laughs> so um, teaching at San Francisco State for so long just gave me a wonderful opportunity to share my knowledge and demystify HR for this new generation of HR professionals. And I admit it was also a really nice pipeline for entry-level talent. So I poached people out of those classes and had them come and work for me when I had openings. I bet, I bet. Yeah, that's like a, uh, a pre-built pipeline. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, the only reason I stopped doing it is because my job just got so busy and I was traveling so much, uh, I just could not continue to make the time. Yeah. And well, you know, I'd love to get your take on as somebody who, you know, has kind of uh, multiple perspectives on HR education, you know, obviously as a CPO or somebody who, you know, firsthand has kind of come up in your career and obviously has kept pace with the changing dynamics within the industry, um, as somebody who's developed teams and led teams and developed, you know, team members, uh, having a, a kind of a lens on resources available to uh, help you help them develop their skills that they need to become a practitioner. And then obviously as a, as an adjunct faculty at San Francisco state teaching, you know, the, the, you, you, you have a, uh, a multidimensional perspective, I would imagine on kind of the state of education and HR. And I'd love to explore that. Like, what do you, what, what do you see is, you know, how would you kind of describe the current state of, of education and uh, uh, you know, kind of resources that are supporting the, uh, preparedness for practitioners in today's world? Yeah, you know, right now, I think it's kind of a hodgepodge of certifications from SHRM or maybe a certificate program or bachelor's degree from 
some university and having taught in one of those programs for years, I can tell you the quality of instruction varies a lot based on the instructor you happen to get. So at the end of the day, I'm not sure most of these programs actually get at what HR people need in the real real world to provide true value to the organization. And I think um, you know what what's needed is this combination of grit from a personality perspective and business confidence from an educational perspective. And I think business confidence um, supports EQ that a lot of HR practitioners do bring to the table, drives a better employee experience, and it just drives the kind of courage and smart decision-making and eye for the right kind of talent that actually helps them to level up the business that they're trying to support. And, and I don't know that a lot of organizations are really teaching that to a up and coming HR practitioners. Yeah. I mean, are there, are there any specific, like when you think about um, specific areas uh, or, or competencies or capabilities that are, that are, that are most, you know, glaringly lacking to you? Do any, do any stand out? Yeah. I think HR people at their core are generally just not business people. Um, I haven't grown up as a business person either. And over the years I've learned I need to lock arms with the CFO and understand how the company makes money. I need to yeah. lock arms with the sales leader and understand uh, what we sell and how we sell it. I need to lock arms with the marketing team and understand um, how we market our, our product and then figure out how to translate that into um, more meaningful programs for our employees around succession planning programs, around performance management, all of those, it's all connected. So I think really leveling up your business acumen is what HR professionals should be focused on. Well, and I want to I actually get into some of your current role at Zenefits because I think we'll, we'll be able to, to shed more light on that. But before we do, I want to actually you know, rewind a bit to the role you had prior to joining Zenefits when you scaled uh, Genesis uh, up to 6,000 employees in over 50 countries. And that, you know, we, we talk a lot about scale and, and, and hyper growth in HR, um, you know, but scale is a relative term, uh, right? And what is scale for one practitioner is different from another. And it obviously that that's a sizable growth period and a, and a sizable geographic footprint. So what was that like for you as the HR executive kind of leading that organization through that growth, both both in headcount, but also kind of global complexity? You know, I think the one thing I learned from that experience was you have to hire the right team around you to support the growth. Um, and then you have to nurture and empower them and focus on building these relationships, not only as the HR leader uh, amongst the executives, but amongst your own team members. Because if you don't, they're going to work against each other rather than with each other. And that just depletes everybody's energy it depletes your resources, it negatively impacts the business, and it can undermine credibility for your whole department. Um, I think the challenge here is it helps a lot if the CEO and CFO understand what it takes um, for HR to be empowered to effectively nurture the business and culture, because then you get the support you need. Too often, HR leaders are fighting for resources and the support they need and the tools they need. Um, and if they, you know, if, if, if your executive team doesn't understand what is needed to support the people, you're going to be just rowing upstream all the time. So I think I learned from, from that experience, you know, I had very supportive leaders and it really, and a really good team and um, some of whom I inherited and some of whom I brought in. 
And we worked together really closely to um, get all the work that needed to be done, done from strategy to um, tactical execution. Uh, it's a lot of work to grow and scale a business like that, no matter what size your business is, quite frankly. Um, and then I think the last thing is, as a leader, you have to you have to bring to the table some humility and realize you're going to learn from people who report to you um, and who are surrounding you in the organization and be open to that. I mean, sometimes, maybe most of the time, they know more than you do. So you really have to be partners with them. Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. And, you know, I'm, I'm from your transition there to Zenefits, like what what compelled you after after kind of leading uh, Genesis through that level of growth? What what compelled you to kind of make that shift over to Zenefits? Well, I was looking for something different because I always like a new challenge. And I have to say, it's been awesome to be the HR person in an HR software company. So right. instead of that usual having to spend the first few months trying to show everybody what a people team is supposed to do, at Zenefits, everybody already understands full well the benefit of good HR and good people practices. So uh, I'm in high demand with the teams from product and engineering because I beta everything to sales because I can help coach our sales team. I can close deals to marketing. I, we just wrote a book called um, on people operations, which is going to come out in June. And uh, so it, it's a lot of fun. And also Zenefits has, you know, a big brand out there and who doesn't love a turnaround story. And I've got a great leadership team. So tons of pluses. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like when you're, I can imagine in some ways there's there's pluses and minuses, meaning pluses, obviously it's a it's a software product at a platform that you're that's a domain that obviously you get intimately and you're you're comfortable with. Uh, you know, minus or challenge where, you know, in some ways you're wearing significantly more hats than you might being a CPO in a non-HR tech company for all the reasons you mentioned, kind of advising sales and, you know, testing product, like how do you find, you know, was it, was it difficult to make that adjustment when you are, uh, you know, you, you're actually kind of advising different facets of the business outside of just kind of the executive and the people team for on strategy? Well, yeah, I'll be honest. It, um, I mean, it does maybe stretch me a little bit thin, but I will say it's what wakes me up and it's what made me realize truly realize how important it is to be connected to the business that you're in. Because as a as a people leader, you can add value to the business in so many more meaningful ways if you understand the business that you're in and can really get yourself embedded in it in some way, shape, or form. Well, let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, we're, we're recording this in February of 2021. Uh, we've all gone through, uh, you know, everything we did in, in 2020. How did that, you know, the events of 2020 impact your, not necessarily your business, but like your team structure and the way you think about people operations? Uh, what, what, what impact did that have to how your team operates? And, uh, and I guess part two of that would be as you're thinking about planning kind of for 21 and beyond, what is that thought process like for you? Like I know a lot of, uh, we're not in an environment in the U.S. certainly where it's safe to go back to offices. We're starting to think about, you know, will we be remote? Will we be hybrid? Uh, you know, is the desire to get everybody back into an office when that's safe to do so? Like, I'd love to just hear like how 2020 impacted your team's operations. And then also, you know, how you, how you're thinking now about kind of designing for your future. 
Uh, okay, so I guess a couple of things. I mean, just like with any startup, everybody on my team wears multiple hats. And so everyone doubles as a business partner. So that brings them closer to the business and understanding what's needed to continue to engage and motivate the employees. I mean, I'm lucky because the our people platform, which is our product, automates a lot of our administrivia tasks. So it really frees my team up to focus more on engagement. Um, so virtual engagement obviously became a big a big effort this year for everybody. Um, and so we did a lot to pivot to focusing on asynchronous communications, um, different channels of communication that would be most effective, engagement-related activities. Um, and then as far as, as the concept around this remote and hybrid and where are we going, you know, I think we found that it worked so well, even though we were a very office-focused culture at the beginning of this, uh, we're going to remain very remote friendly uh, with a hybrid approach for those looking to go back into an office because we know a lot of people would rather be in an office for various reasons, right? Maybe they're dealing with kids at home or they've got roommates or bandwidth issues or they just want to work in a different environment. Um, maybe they need a different kind of space to concentrate on their work. I mean, everybody has kind of unique needs. So one of the big changes for us is we're moving away from this concept of a headquarters. I think a lot of companies are... Uh, thinking about this now. So we'll continue to keep and support some office space in our bigger locations, but I think we're going to see more of a focus on smaller hoteling or gathering spaces for our other locations. I think a lot of employers are going to do that because employees want flexibility and that desire for flexibility is not going to go away. So as an employer, you kind of have to do a pulse check with your organization and not assume um, what people want, which we've done through surveys. We have a survey tool actually inside of our platform, but you know, do a survey, do a pulse check with your team and find out what are their expectations before making that decision in a vacuum. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. You, you, you touched on the point of um, flexibility and choice in, in that response. And I think that that is, uh, a, a, it's spot on, but B, I think it's probably going to be one of the more unique challenges that we're going to face as a field over the next year and beyond, primarily because, you know, the way that traditionally HR has operated is, uh, you know, as it relates to kind of employee experience and policies and programs, one size fits all, right? Like, this is how we do benefits. This is how, you know, people come into an office. This is, uh, if, if we did have people that worked remote, these are the kind of rigid constructs through which employees must work remote. And now, I think, especially because of the deeply uh, subjective and kind of personal nature that our employees are experiencing this. And, and again, you mentioned some are desperate to go back into an office. Some will never go back into an office. And so as we're kind of designing for this future, uh, we, we have to be uh, you know, bespoke in a lot of ways in terms of how we design the programs and the policies to support employees. And you know, I'm curious, you mentioned engagement as well. Like how... In this environment now where I'm imagining you still have the majority of your or all of your uh, your team remote, as a CPO, how do you think about kind of maintaining engagement in that environment, particularly as you mentioned that, you know, you are, you are a heavy office culture. You're used to being co-located and kind of, you know, building culture and having all your customs and rituals based around being in an office. Now you're not and you haven't been in a year. Like, how do you adapt to that? How do you, how do you think about engagement? Uh, kind of maintaining engagement and driving engagement in, in a fully distributed environment where you didn't have those 
operating rhythms, you know, before the pandemic? You know, I think it boils down to a few key things. Um, one is keeping your finger on the pulse. The other is effective communication. And the last is the human element. So as you mentioned before, flexibility and acceptance of the whole person is becoming really important. We're, we're sitting in each other's houses. I see the skateboards behind you on your wall. I know a little bit about you now. Um, you heard my dog barking earlier. You know a little bit about me. So we have to be more open and understanding about topics like mental health and well-being, uh, flexibility, and just humanizing work. Um, so I think that is definitely uh, one thing that is changing as far as communication goes, always communication was important, but now we're shifting to more asynchronous work styles. Uh, we're rethinking performance management processes uh, to be more in line with where we are as a company. Um, and people are reviewing their communications platforms. Um, so for us, we use Slack, but we also have PeopleHub, which is a communication tool inside of Zenefits. So everybody has to find the right channels that allow you to communicate with your teams. And then just this concept of keeping your finger on the pulse, you can do short, more regular engagement surveys. I'm a fan of the ENPS, Employee Net Promoter, because it's quick and it's easy and it tells you a lot with comments. So people can give you feedback because you do have to listen to your people because you know what managers think they want isn't always what they want. So I think that's really important. Yeah, look, I think, uh, and you mentioned this earlier as, as you were thinking about how to design, you know, remote versus hybrid and, and what your employees want. And I think one of the things that we've certainly got much more involved in as a field is listening uh, and, and co-creation, right? Uh, understanding that we, we have to be building um, with and for our employees, not to them. And I don't mean that in like a, in a, in a, in a direct way. I just mean that in, in the past, oftentimes, you know, we might pull a few employees in to kind of, pressure test ideas, but, you know, we, we would be designing much of the programs we would roll out. And, you know, now I think that, uh, you know, especially in this environment, we're, we're doing a much better job of really kind of ensuring that we deeply understand employees' wants and needs and sentiments in the design process. Um, and that's kind of steering what we build and, and how we build it, which I think is, uh, again, from an employee experience standpoint, tremendous because we end up building much better programs that are that are more kind of roundly embraced uh, by our teams. Um, Tracy, I want to, you know, I appreciate the the feedback and kind of helping me and the listeners get a better feel for your, your role and some of the complexities that you're navigating right now. Um, I want to close with a, a new feature we've recently introduced called the lightning round. So uh, it's not a hot seat. I'm not putting you in a hot seat, but I want, I'd like, I'll have a couple questions for you. And I'd love to get, uh, you know, just one sentence answers uh, to the best of your ability. So are you uh, ready for this? I'm ready for anything. Uh, all right. All right. Now, now I may need to bring some more questions as well. Now, now that I know your game. Uh, let's open with, uh, I jump into your Spotify account and check out your top three Spotify artists. Uh, who, will gonna, I di- who will I discover that Tracy is, uh, is jamming on? You're going to find that I am all about the multi-artist playlist right now. So the three favorites right now are 60s French pop, mm. any dead rock singer, and lo-fi. So those are massive genres. You got you've got hundreds of artists in there. Are there any are there any particular artists within those genres that uh, that you tend to be, uh, you know, kind of playing more than others? Totally. So I'm kind of obsessed with Serge Gainsbourg right now. 
um, prints. For some reason, I've been recycling a lot of prints. And then there's uh, someone called Mount Fugitive on the lo-fi side that I enjoy. Wow. All right. Well, now you've given me some uh, some folks that uh, were not on my radar. So I will be I will be checking those out. Um, moving on. What is your least favorite HR buzzword? <laughs> so I have to call you on it because you just said it. It's on my radar. It makes me crazy. We're not submarine <laughs> technicians. Why don't we just say I'm aware of that? So that's definitely one of them. Oh, that's fantastic. I walked right into that. That's uh, that's actually kind of awesome. All right, now I'm gonna have to check myself now. Now that I now that I know that it uh, it is a buzzword that rubs, rubs people the wrong way. Um, favorite. HR function. And I know that this puts you on a spot. You oversee everything, but I would love to just, you know, usually people have a particular facet within the function where maybe they came up through or they're just really curious about. Uh, for you, what is that? Yeah. You know, that's a trick question. I have to love them all. They're all my children. But right now I would say community. It's yeah. an emerging function. I designed a role for this eight years ago at Genesis, and I see more and more companies starting to do it. And so this focus on engagement and fostering community in the company and can often include um, diversity, equity, and inclusion and corporate social responsibility. So it's just a fun and emerging function. Cool. If you weren't in HR, what would you be doing? <laughs> I, you know, my experience at Zenefits has taught me I have some natural tendencies towards marketing. So that's a possibility. All right. Well, hey, you know, career reinvention is all, always there. Uh, interestingly enough, I, I've in my time, I've known a few people who have been CMO slash CPO, which is two very big jobs. And uh, uh, yeah, that's that's a lot. So maybe maybe that pathway for you is there. Maybe uh, someday. You never, you never know. <laughs> you never know. Last question for you, Tracy. Uh, name one HR practitioner that you admire and why. Well, you know, there's someone you recently had on one of your shows. Uh, her name is Pat Waters. She's currently the chief people officer at Procore, and she previously had been at ServiceNow. Um, she's on our board of directors. And I think no one cares more about the people experience than Pat. And she's got this approachable, relatable style that I think sets a great example for HR practitioners everywhere. And also she wore sneakers to work with business attire long before <laughs> the vice president made it socially acceptable. So I love that. Yeah, big fan of Pat. Uh, she's uh, she's tremendous, and uh, yeah, I, I definitely get that feedback. And awesome sneaker sense as well, which is uh, certainly a plus one. Um, Tracy, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed the the conversation and getting to know a little bit more about your career and background and role. And uh, I really appreciate you making time. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.